Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, the podcast that makes you the authority in orthodontics in your community. Get ready for insights on how to compete on expertise and trust against mail order in retail orthodontics. It's not always about the lowest fees. And now, from the People in Practice team, your hosts, Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein. In this episode, we're going to help you start more cases, improve your overall conversion rates, discover how you, the doctor, not your TC, is screwing up the new patient consult, and if that were not enough, how to compete with direct-to-consumer competition like Big Purple. Now, how is that for a podcast? And it's free. Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists. My name is Leon Klempner. I'm a retired orthodontist from New York and co-founder and CEO of People in Practice, uh, an orthodontic uh, marketing company, and, and we do consulting as well. Uh, I'm also a national speaker and a KOL for a number of different ortho companies. Uh, as of late, I'm doing a lot of speaking for ortho study clubs, so if, uh, if you have one and you'd like to have me, I'd appreciate it. Just uh, shoot me an email. I'm very excited about having my friend as a guest today. But before we introduce him, let me introduce my partner, my co-host, my daughter, the mom of my two grandchildren, Maya and Kayla, our marketing guru, and the brains behind the agency, Amy Epstein. Well, thank you for that, Dad. Uh, what he didn't mention is that I'm not going to be the mom of his only two grandchildren for very long because Leon is expecting a grandson in February. So we're very excited that for that. Shout out to Jody, my youngest shout out daughter. To Jody. Yeah. First, uh, first boy in the family. That's so. right, for a long time. Thank you for listening in today because we have a very interesting guest to introduce, and that is Landy Chase. Landy is a practice consultant and also an award-winning author. He specializes exclusively in training orthodontic practices to increase their start rate of prospective patients. His firm, OrthoYes, OrthoYes.com, provides highly effective, detailed procedures for doctors, TCs, and front desk staff to attract and acquire new ortho patients. He's worked with hundreds of clients around the world, published five books for the ortho profession, and those books on case acceptance have, to date, sold over 5,000 copies. Wow. He's also written over 100 articles for his case acceptance tip of the week column, now followed by nearly 3,000 orthodontists and staff. Landy graduated from the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina, and holds an MBA from Xavier University. Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, Landy. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So Landy and I have known each other quite a few years. I remember yep. bringing yep. him into my own practice to help me improve our conversion rates and new patient intake process. So this guy really knows his stuff. And if, you're, if you haven't subscribed to his uh, newsletter, it's really informative, and I'm sure Landy will, will, will let you know how to do that. Absolutely. Um, great. Landy, I've personally done thousands and thousands of new patient consults in my 40-year orthodontic career, 
And I know that deep down that if the case started, it's because they loved me and I charmed them with my sparkling personality. But if they didn't start, they went home to think about it. It was definitely my TC's fault because they lack, you know, Uh, you know, I'm just kidding. But of course, I know a lot of orthos that really feel that way. So uh, let me start off by asking you this question. Why do you say that it's the doctors, not the TCs, that need to take the responsibility for most of the lost cases? Well, let me start uh, uh, to answer that question by relating a story uh, to your listeners that uh, got me on this path of working with doctors. Um, A year or two ago, I had a doctor client Uh, that called me up a few months after we had worked together, he and I and his team. And like most doctors, uh, his concern about the conversion rate was that his TC wasn't doing her job correctly. So he called me up Mm -hmm. and he informed me that he had not seen any improvement and wanted to know if I would be willing to work some more with his treatment coordinator to see what the problem was. So obviously I said, I'd be happy to. Um, And I contacted the TC and I should mention that this particular person was a very good student of mine. She did everything I asked her to do, followed my instructions, did a great job with the training. So she had um, been a good person to work with to to start. So I contacted her. This is again about six months after our initial work together. And I informed her that the doctor was concerned about the conversion rate and asked her if she would be willing to give me a few recordings of some more recent consults to review. One of the things I do in my work with practices, by the way, is I have the the clients record with patient permission, video the actual consultations they do, and then I give feedback to the doctors uh, and TCs. At the time, though, I was only working with TCs. So the TC uh, complied with my request, and the first thing I noticed when I watched some of the recordings was that she was doing everything that I'd asked her to do in training. So there was nothing really wrong uh, with her skill set. Then I looked at the payment options they were offering. All that looked great. And so I was really scratching my head at where the problem could be. Now, most of the TCs I work with only record their portion of the meeting. But this particular TC had recorded the entire consult. And so in this particular case, not only was the TC on the recording, but the doctor was also. And since the doctor was available for me to review, I decided to take a few minutes to see what they were doing. And when I watched what the doctor did in these meetings, I had a real epiphany. And the epiphany is pretty simple. Uh, In most businesses, including mine, uh, one person presents the services to be offered and also presents the cost of those services. That's how most businesses sell their services. However, in orthodontics, it's split. You as the doctor present the value of what you're offering and then you leave the meeting and turn this fee presentation over to a second person. In fact, this is the only business I've ever seen having worked in about 60 industries that does it that way. So the point is this, if the doctor does not do a good job of communicating in what I call the language of the family. In other words, communicating the value of treatment and why it's necessary. It's not going to matter what the TC does because if I don't want to buy what you're offering, I'm not going to be interested in the fees you're presenting. So the issue to Mm -hmm. me is fundamentally different than what most practices have always believed. And that is the TC's role is to present the cost of the services, but the doctor is responsible for communicating the value. And if that is done in a substandard way, the fees become irrelevant. 
Yeah. That makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. It's where the, well, the it, selling actually starts is, is with the doctor. Exactly. And it's, it's not a complicated concept, but you know, I've said this uh, in my books, the profession gets a lot of poor advice in my opinion. And for whatever reason, the um, doctors have been led to believe that case acceptance is the job of the TC and it's simply not the case. I really believe that the uh, the doctor is the key ingredient, and most doctors are really uh, in need of improving the way they communicate their services to their visitors. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just heard this big sigh of of relief from the TCs out there yeah. that are listening to this podcast, <laughs> right. and all the doctors yeah. are going to stop listening to it. <laughs> I, I would say the TCs are weeping with joy, but that's just. <laughs> but it, it really well, is uh, a fundamental mindset shift. And, and it's important, and you have to keep in mind, I watch hundreds of doctors interacting with these patients, and we'll talk more about what I see in a minute, but uh, there's a, a pretty significant problem uh, with the doctors and how they're presenting what they do to the families that come in. So, so you know, just to piggyback on that, you know, we as doctors, we don't, we don't like to be salespeople. We really don't. We really want to, you know, we want to do right for the patient and we want to provide them, you know, the care that they want, but we don't really want to see ourselves as sellers. Um, so how do we, how do we, how do we communicate to the family, uh, you know, uh, the, the importance of what we're doing without sounding like we're, we're selling? Yeah, well, frankly, selling has nothing to do with it, in my opinion. Um, what I'm talking about is communicating what we do in a way that is meaningful to the people we're presenting it to. Um, so there's nothing pushy or aggressive or cheesy or manipulative about what we're doing uh, on the doctor's side. This is all about good communication. Um, the problem, and we're going to get to this in more detail in a moment, but the problem with what doctors do is, is they present what they're offering to the family is that they were still in school. And that's a direct quote from one of my client doctors, and he was absolutely right. Um, so when you talk about you know, the, the uh, stereotypical sales presentation, um, there's really no place for that here, not only with the doctor, but with the TC either. There's no high-pressure gimmickry. Uh, this is just simply about explaining what you're offering to the family or what you're recommending to the family in a way uh, that is meaningful to them and compels them uh, to want to do it. Um, but not in a pushy way, in a way that, that's more of a pull than a push. And you know, I'll get into the details of how that's done momentarily. That's great, Landy. Thank you. So let me switch gears a little bit and ask you a question, um, because I'm on the phone a lot with clients and the team members about doctors that are keeping everyone waiting and running behind schedule. And you know, specifically in the business that we're in, we work with our clients on building their reputations. And so much of that has to do with the way patients and parents perceive the practice as valuing their time. So we can result in some feedback that comes back and in the worst cases, reviews that that get out there, which we try to prevent, but reviews that um, talk about how they're always kept waiting or constantly behind schedule. So it's actually a major issue um, in the practices that um, yeah, absolutely. You know, don't have it under control. So can you share with us some thoughts on, on how these doctors can get in and out of consultations and you know avoid sure. getting behind schedule? Sure. And before I get into how to do it, just to um, agree with your point, I time doctors 
when I watched their consults. And I had one recently, 28 minutes. And this is just in the new patient consult. 28 minutes, 33 minutes, 31 minutes, 37 minutes. Has no idea how long he's in there. Very common. So it's a, uh, a significant problem. And there's two reasons for it. The first one is lack of structure. When the doctor comes into these meetings, they need to have a plan, an agenda of what they're going to be doing. I think they should communicate that to the family after they establish a little rapport with the family, explain what they're going to be doing. Here's what I'll be doing today. And we, we go through the steps. I teach five. And then they get agreement for that. How does that sound to everyone? When the family agrees, which they always do, it gives the doctor complete control over how they're going to spend their time. And so uh, if we don't have the structure, if we don't have a plan, a step-by-step, uh, doctors have a tendency to get on tangents, to get pulled away easily uh, from what they intended to do. And that's where you see the first problem. The second one, which is almost universal, frankly, is in the Q&A at the end of the meeting. The doctor will ask the family, what questions do you have? Invariably, uh, the parent will ask questions that have nothing to do with the treatment plan. Uh, what foods should Junior avoid during treatment? How do we clean the appliances? Things like that that should be handled uh, by the TC. A lot of doctors, uh, and again, I understand they're trying to be helpful, but a lot of doctors fall into the trap of answering questions that aren't relevant to the treatment plan. And of course, typically one question spawns three or four more questions. And when we answer those questions, we get three or four more after that. And so before you know it, you're 20 minutes behind in the clinic. Uh, what I suggest doctors do, a very simple and very effective process to stop that, is at the end of the meeting, when we ask the question, do you have any questions, we listen for the litmus test. Is the question I'm being asked as a doctor related to the treatment plan or not? If it's not, which it usually isn't, the doctor should politely say, that's a great question. My talented TC will address how, uh, what foods to avoid momentarily. And then they always finish with this question back to the family. Do you have any questions for me regarding the treatment plan? In the business world, this is known as the porcupine technique. The idea is that the person asking questions controls the conversation. So if we answer their question and then ask a question of our own, we take control of the conversation back. And as you all know, when you ask the family, do you have any other questions for me regarding the treatment plan? The answer is almost always no. And that's the doctor's cue card to exit stage, stage left. Mm. Um, so to summarize uh, on time management structure and knowing how to get the Q&A process delegated when appropriate are the keys to getting in and out. And most doctors, in my experience, can have a very good quality interaction with a family for a a routine case in 10 to 12 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, the, I used to hate coming back out of the consult, you know, first of all, I, I used to hate going in when we used to have parents in my practice out in the clinical area. And so they knew when I went out, when the TC came out to get me, uh, they, you know, TC would hover, <laughs> You know, I yeah. feel I feel the breath on the back of my neck. So I knew, you know, we didn't want to keep the new patient waiting. But then on the other hand, you know, I don't want to keep the, the people that the, the patients that were coming in that were honoring their appointments. I wanted to keep them on time, too. But some, you know, somehow that that never worked out. So, yeah. you know, what you're saying, um, 10 to 12 minutes, I think, is a good guideline, you know, and, and if that's not happening, you know, there might 
be some reevaluation of what's going on in there. That's great. Yeah, and I've got there's a doctor I work with in the um, Memphis area, and he gets in and out in under five minutes. And to be candid, I'm um, I'm impressed with his ability to have a good quality meeting in that amount of time. I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. that's good for most people, but he pulls it off. Um, and I would also mention that there are going to be cases that are outliers that do require more time. Obviously, they're more complex. Before a routine garden variety, upper and lower case, uh, 10 to 12 minutes is plenty if it's used properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So That's Landy, a lot of time shaved off of the 37 you mentioned earlier. Yeah. About how many yeah, multiply exactly. by the number of case, uh, sorry, uh, consultations that happen. That's a ton of time gained. It is. Yeah. And, uh, and the doctors usually don't have any idea uh, how long they're actually in the meetings, which is one of the reasons it's beneficial to have a third party involved in such things. So, Landy, I know there are a lot of uh, younger orthodontists listening. I know we have a lot of uh, residents out there that are listening. Uh, many of them will be hiring a TC for the very first time. Um, mm-hmm. I know that I had no training when I came out. I'm, I'm sure most of the residents don't have a lot of training in terms of that business side of it. Um, but there are qualities that are important to look for when hiring a TC, particularly in this crazy environment. It's harder and harder to start cases. So what, what, what are the most important skills a TC really needs in order to, to be successful? Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the skills that a TC needs to be successful are not orthodontic skills, they're business skills. And I'm specifically referring to presenting fees properly, negotiating with the family without lowering price, um, handling final concerns of the family, handling the need to talk to a spouse, which they have every right to do, asking for commitment to start, and then having a follow-up process that's efficient and gets most of the pending cases started. For that reason, I think that the best candidate for a TC position is a person with a business background, preferably in sales or customer service. It's not required, um, but if I were hiring somebody that did not have an orthodontic background, that's the first place I would go because you can teach the orthodontic part, but teaching uh, a person who has no business skills, the skills I'm referring to is is harder to do. And they're not going Mm -hmm. to get that anyway in a typical orthodontic practice. Um, So the traits I look for, and I notice these with the top TCs I work with, the first one to me is leadership. Um, It always makes me cringe to hear a TC say to a family, would you like to? As in, would you like to schedule your next appointment? Would you like me to call you next week? The problem with that interaction is it's putting the TC in a subservient role and putting all the pressure on the family to make a decision. The family wants the TC to tell them what to do. The TC is supposed to be the expert and the leader. And for those reasons, I like to teach TCs to speak as an advisor, just like the doctor does. Mrs. Jones, I would suggest while you're here, that we go ahead and schedule your next appointment for your son to make sure we have that time set aside on Dr. Klempner's uh, busy calendar. Uh, The advisor, the leader, the recommender, that's the first thing I look for. Secondly, the ability to get to yes by negotiating through concerns about fees and payment options. Again, a skill that most TCs do not get organically. And I've seen enough of what practices do before I get involved to know that 
your business is in a bit of a bubble and just does not get much professional training in these critical areas that are, as I said, business skills. And then the third one is more of an administrative skill. It's the ability to keep up with pending cases and move those to closure without being overwhelmed. Most TCs, when I get involved, are having a difficult time with following up with people. They get too busy. They have too many to do that. And another problem, frankly, is that doctors insist the TCs continue to call and call and call ad nauseum for weeks and months on end to people that will not return phone calls and emails and have demonstrated emphatically they have no interest in moving forward. So there's really two issues there. One is the administrative skills of the TC. And then the other one, which I teach, is a more efficient way of managing the process so we don't get bogged down and doing labor-intensive work. There's a very low return on investment. Great. Super helpful, Landy. So now let's switch to what we do in, in every podcast is invite members of our audience to submit questions. And so we have one now and let's play it. My name is Dr. Boris Arbitman. I'm an orthodontist practicing in Queens, New York. And my question is, given the new prevalence of direct-to-consumer options, how can orthodontic practices like our own compete with direct-to-consumer options like Smile Direct Club? Okay. Um, the first thing I'll say to this, and you have to remember this is just my opinion, but I do feel strongly about it, is that your profession is not competing with Smile Direct Club, and I'll explain why I say that. Uh, I've been saying for years uh, to the orthodontic profession that the adult patients are fundamentally different than parents with children. And one of the ways in which they're different is that many adults do not want a perfect result. They want to look better. Smile Direct Club and other direct-to-consumer products are not selling perfection. They're selling an improvement at some level. The best way to summarize that point for the orthodontic community is to say that most of the people, in my opinion, that would invest in Smile Direct Club would never set an appointment to come to your practice to begin with. And even if they did, most of them would be a complete waste of your time. And the reason I say that is that that product appeals to people who do not have the financial ability to involve a doctor and to invest in treatment. I think generally they're going to be younger adults, which in my experience is the worst segment of the market for an orthodontic practice in terms of conversion rate. They don't want a perfect outcome, and they're looking for something almost like whitening that will give them an improved cosmetic appearance without the expense of treatment. So to that point, the best way to compete with those people is to not be in their market. I don't believe that your market is Smile Direct Club. I think that your profession needs to get better at presenting the health benefits of a proper bite and the health benefits of orthodontics in general and recognize that you do not want to get pulled into a situation where you're competing strictly on cosmetic improvement with those people. Um, I really think the profession can do a better job of touting the health benefits of treatment uh, and communicating that information both orally and in writing in these consultations. It's another aspect of what I work in that I think needs some attention. Um, and then the other thing I would mention uh, with regard to the doctor's involvement, and I said earlier that I would come back to this, the problem with most doctor's presentations to these families is that they talk almost exclusively about what they're going to do. As a father of three children that went through treatment, 
What the doctor is going to do is at best mildly interesting to me. What I really want to know as a father is, A, why should I spend $6,000 to fix this or however much it's going to cost? And more importantly, what's going to happen if we don't fix it? In my experience, doctors never talk about any of that. They focus exclusively on moving this tooth over here, moving that tooth over there to here, widening this arch over here. And it's all about moving teeth around, which is all about what the doctor is interested in, but has very little to do with what the family wants to know, which, as I said, is why do we need to do it? And if we don't do it, what's going to happen? So, so let me let me just play devil's advocate with you here, Landy, because sure. I, I'm going to present a different perspective. Because I, I I talk to orthodontists all the time, and I could tell you there are a lot of orthodontists that are hurting right now. Yeah. And while I do agree with you in terms of communicating the benefit of what we do is certainly something that we have not excelled in, and we need to do that better. There is an opportunity here for us to tap into what has been a, an appetite now for a cosmetic improvement um, in, in the public with, uh, because of the advertising spend of, of direct-to-consumers like Smile Direct Club. And I do think we have an opportunity here because we've lost the easy cases. It's not that we can't treat them, it's they're not coming our way anymore. They're getting, they're getting picked off by either the GPs or they're going to direct to consumer options. The and believe it or cases. not, there, there's a lot of consumers that are in a position to pay, but choose not to come to orthodontists because it's not that convenient. And they, they, they've been taught that it's going to take two years to correct their problem, and they frankly don't have the time to do it. There are many CEOs that are going to Smile Direct Club where they should be in our wheelhouse. So there is an opportunity. You know, you know we're marketers, so we, we're looking at a lot of different options for our practices, and we see that the, the loss of the easy cases is something that we really need to work on in order to take back. Yeah. Well, I'm not disagreeing with your point. I think there's a lot of validity to that. I, I just, I don't know. Um, when you get to the price point, for example, that Smile Direct Club is at, I, I don't feel um, the way I see it that the, the candidates uh, who want that product would likely be in an orthodontic practice to begin with. I, I do think that for, for one, again, if you take the market in general and segment it some, you're always going to be uh, at least for the foreseeable future, the place to go for children. And you're also going to be the place to go for wiser, more educated adults who are willing to pay the extra money to have something done properly. Uh, I don't think those markets are going to be significantly affected by that. They may, um, but I do think that there's some protection there. And I don't look at that product specifically as a direct competitor to an orthodontic practice um, because I think that most of the people that would do that are primarily price shoppers that would not spend the money they would need to spend to begin with to have an orthodontics fix a problem that they had. It's just mm -hmm. the way I see it. Yeah. No, you raise a really good point. I think that, you know, as we start to think about that uh, segmentation as well, it's sort of like, all right, well, who who yeah. are the ones that are going that way? And is there a segment of the population that recognizes the value of seeing an orthodontist? And 
if you know the that value has a fee associated with it so perhaps you know addressing that market that that market that's like you know uh you, the low cost sounds good i really only want an improvement but i'm kind of uncomfortable just not being seen by a doctor just having these aligners yeah. being sent to my house something think, about that feels weird you know and yeah. those people are, are willing to pay a little bit more to see the person who knows what they're doing to be treated yeah. by a doctor. I think a big part of the problem uh, is education, education, yes. educating the public about That's the health right. benefits of treatment. Um, you're right. not going to get proper bite alignment with Smile Direct Club or any of the low cost alternatives. Um, and for that reason, uh, I look at that product as appealing to people that only want to look better and don't want to have a smile mm-hmm. of a lifetime because they don't know any mm-hmm. better in some cases. So right. I think the profession right. in general could do a better job of educating the public on why it's important to not only have teeth that look nice, but also that fit together properly so that they last a lifetime instead of uh, something that looks good cosmetically, but this is going to be a train wreck mm-hmm. over the long term, which I think happens with some regularity. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there, there's a lot of digital opportunities to do that. And one of the things that bothers me about the, the AAO CAP program is that relying on the association to educate the public and and it's just not going to work that way we need to take our own geographic area and exactly and and, and send that message so you know yeah yeah so i know that most listeners tune into our pack our podcast to listen to learn about how to bring in new patients and grow their practices but i find many colleagues when asked, don't even know what their conversion rates are. And focusing on bringing in new patients without paying attention to conversions like having a leaky bucket. Now, we're marketers, but yeah. you know, we need to be honest with our clients that, look, you need to pay attention to, to both ends of the spectrum if you want to increase your production. So I can't let you go without asking what additional tips you can offer our listeners in order to you know, not lose those cases and, yeah. and, and improve those conversion rates. Sure. Well, keep in mind, my focus is uh, is not on marketing. Marketing is what uh, we do to bring people in for a consultation. My focus is on what happens once that is successful. Um, mm-hmm. And so I would remind your listeners that you, you only have one opportunity, just one, to convince a visiting family or a visiting patient that they not only need treatment, but they also need it at your practice. And once they leave your practice, your opportunity is over. One of the things I teach your TCs is that once the family has left, their focus needs to be getting to yes or no quickly because the only thing that wastes our time now is maybe the decision has already been made and there's almost nothing we can do after the meeting is over to change that. So optimizing the the uh, new patient consultation, making that experience every bit as good as the post-decision patient experience is is an overlooked area that costs uh, practices hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, According to my math, if you lose just one good case a week because of a substandard uh, new patient consultation process that's costing your practice over a quarter of a million dollars annually. And these are people that came in who were interested enough to spend an hour of their time at your practice. And then after the hour is over, they essentially changed their mind. So I think a new mindset is, is um, required. Uh, 
uh, a recognition that we need to improve our skill set across the board with our front desk team, with our doctors, and with our treatment coordinators to make sure uh, that when we have somebody come to our practice, they always leave with the same attitude, the same mentality. And that mentality is, if I were ever going to have this done, this is the place I would go. If we can do that successfully, we can dominate our local market and be very successful in spite of all the changes and the challenges uh, that the profession is facing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very, very helpful advice, Landy. Thank you so much. And if we'd like to learn more about what you do and your perspective, how, how can we learn more? Sure. The easiest way to reach me is Landy, L-A-N-D-Y, at orthoyes.com. That's my email address. You can also reach us as a company at orthoyes.com or call us at 800-370-8026. Again, 800-370-8026. Perfect. Thanks so much, Landy. We really appreciate your time today. And I think our listeners are really going to benefit from from hearing this podcast. I enjoyed it as always. Thank you so much. Yep. Thanks, Landy. Thank you. We have a great lineup of guests moving forward. Our next guest is David Sarver of Sarver Orthodontics, a well-known and well-respected member of the orthodontic community. Be sure to listen in. You can also download other episodes or sign up for our marketing newsletter. And if you enjoyed the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you tell one of your colleagues. Yep. Thanks for listening. Just as a note, we offer geographic exclusivity to our ortho clients. Give us a call if you're interested in a complimentary marketing analysis or an action plan just shoot me an email it's leon at pplpractice.com and amy it's all yours thank you i think as you heard from landy he agrees with us that um, until next time remember that the golden age of orthodontics is ahead thank you for joining us on the survival guide for orthodontists where we help your practice grow within a massively disrupted industry Subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on social media. Find us online at the survival guide for orthodontists.com.